If you brought a Bible, let's open it to the book of Luke. If you're using the pew Bible there in front of you, the blue one, we're on page 859. Briefly, because we're in verses 16 to 30 this morning. What would compel someone to follow Jesus? What would compel anyone to give up their life and to follow him? That's the question that we're asking this winter, spring, as we look at the book of Luke. Last week, we said that Jesus came to give his life for yours. And so this morning, we might sort of zero in on that claim a bit and ask, well, just who did Jesus come for? Who is the ministry of Jesus for? And so with that, uh, let us begin reading in verse 16 of chapter 4. The word of God. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and he was, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. And recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him. And they marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. Verse 28, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff But passing through their midst, he went away. We pray and ask God to teach us his word. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning and this wonderful time to be together to hear from your word. And we pray this morning that you would open our eyes and our ears, that you would teach us, that you would help us to learn and to see who you are, that we may ultimately see and hear hear things otherwise we could not. That we would leave here changed people. We ask all this in your son's name. Amen. <clears throat> I'm pretty sure I've shared a version of this story before. Uh, but I want to start here this morning to sort of uh, set the tone for what we're going to look at this morning. Um, if you've, you've been around anybody who's been to seminary and your pastor or previous church or, or this one, you've probably at some point heard them talk about uh, their first homiletics class. And you've, you've heard them probably say something along the lines of, well, the worst part about the, that class is that they get you to go in and they you know, prepare your first sermon and deliver it, but they ask you to go in with this tape um, <clears throat> and they, they record you doing this, record you delivering your first sermon. 
that's not the hard part. The hard part is, is they then hand you the tape when it's done and they force you by grade to go and watch yourself, to be critical of yourself, to grade yourself, to examine yourself. All right. And there's nothing worse than sitting there uh, looking at yourself. So thankful for the live feed, by the way. That's uh, that's encouraging. Um, there's nothing you know more uncomfortable than hearing your own voice. Uh, did I really do that? And as you as you do watch it, though, as you begin to realize well, this is this is compl- this is so necessary to be able to see myself, to examine myself, although it is extremely uncomfortable. Well, I want our text, or at least this sermon, right? I want our text to be a bit like that this morning for us. I want us to stop for a second, to stop thinking about who's not here, who needs to hear this message. And I want us to think about this in terms of ourselves. Um, I want us to trust in the sovereignty of God this morning, that you are here and the other people are not, and therefore God has a word for you, right? And I want us to see that what might be painful as we open ourselves up to such criticism, as we examine ourselves, that this might be painful, uh, but it is absolutely necessary. And one thing is for sure that when we do that, when we open ourselves up, which is really what we are doing in one sense every time we show up here on Sunday, hopefully, when we do that, that's exactly where we find the grace of God in our lives. So as you see there on your bulletin, I want to look at what characterizes Jesus' ministry from this text. I want to see the challenge of Jesus' ministry from this text. And then the scandal of Jesus' ministry from this text. So what characterizes Jesus' ministry, the challenge of it, and the scandal of it as well. So let's look at that first one. What characterizes Jesus' ministry? And what characterizes Jesus' ministry is that it always seems to go out to the wrong people. Um, it is true that Jesus came for everyone, right? We would never exclude, the scriptures don't exclude anybody from the grace of God, right? Jesus came for everyone, all nationalities, all race. But when we talk about what characterizes his ministry, that is what will always be associated with his mission, is that Jesus' ministry seems to always go to and be for the marginalized of this world. And what many cultures would always sort of point at and say, the wrong people. The nobodies of class, culture, and society. It is also for the somebodies, which also gets forgotten. Don't get me wrong. But if it has Jesus' fingerprints on it, if it's gospel-centered, which is a phrase we always like to use in church world, it will always involve the, quote, downtrodden and disadvantaged of the world, as Alex Moyer in his commentary to Isaiah says. And we know this because the Old Testament talks about this all the time. First, in God actually picking the most marginalized of all nations to be his people, which is Israel, right? Right off the bat. But then second, in God's message through his prophets to his people, they, that they will take care of the poor, the widowed, the sick. And throughout all of history, it is the ministry of the least of these that we see that has drawn the world's attention to notice Christianity often in the first place, is it not? See, in the early church in Rome, it was how Christians cared for the poor and helpless that was so countercultural that compelled people to consider Christianity because of the way they took care of those that were, quote, not their own. Those Rome and society left for dead and by the wayside. I was reminded of a story uh, written uh, about a summer in 1878 in Memphis, Tennessee. That it was Christians, both Protestants and Catholics, who were, quote, martyred by the yellow fever outbreak that summer that took some 5,000 lives of local Memphians. 
And they are called martyrs because when the city was evacuated, it was nuns and priests, Christian doctors, and also a few prostitutes, just to be historically accurate, who stayed behind to tend to the sick, knowing that they would attract yellow fever and also die as well. And they did. This ministry to the poor, to the prisoner, the blind, and the oppressed, as Philip Ryken puts it, is always and will always characterize the ministry of Jesus and his followers. And it is why what characterizes Jesus' ministry always seems to go to the wrong people, to many cultures in the world. So when Jesus reads from Isaiah in the synagogue and proclaims the ministry of God's people, proclaims the ministry of God's anointed to the poor and the oppressed, so far so good, right? Why would we have a problem with this? Anybody could get behind a ministry like this. So why does this scene turn so toxic once he's done reading Isaiah? Why do those in Jesus' hometown get so upset that they actually try to kill him? And the answer lies behind what Jesus is talking about. But more importantly, who his listeners think, think he's talking about. What Jesus is talking about is this. The poor, for example, doesn't necessarily mean the physical poor, but also the spiritual poor as well. It's both of those things. The biblical poor, to quote Moyer again, are the helpless in themselves and at the mercy of powerful people in in adverse circumstances. In other words, most of the people in places like Nazareth, Jesus' hometown. But it goes deeper than just the physical It is spiritual poverty, too. And in this sense, all are poor. And that's the point, right? We get that. And when we read this, we think Jesus has come for everyone, for the world. But is that who his listeners think he's talking about? Who do his listeners, his hometown, think? Isaiah specifically, though, in this case... That Jesus is talking about. Who do they think Isaiah is talking about? And who they think Jesus is talking about is them only. They believe that they are the physical poor Isaiah is referencing. They believe that they are the prisoner, if you will. Wrongfully imprisoned, that is, for being Jewish in a Roman world. They believe that God's good favor to heal his people are the quote-unquote blind that Isaiah talks about. And without any doubt, they are the ones who are the oppressed that God through Isaiah promised to set free by sending God's anointed to physically overturn the power structures of Rome. It's then that God's anointed will reign and use his enemies as a footstool, just like Psalm 2 says. This is who Jesus' listeners, his hometown specifically, Think that he is talking about. But is this who Jesus is talking about? And the answer is no. And this is what causes the problem. Jesus' hometown is about to find out that God has come to rescue the wrong people. Gentiles. The worst. In other words, he's come to rescue their enemies, friends. And this is the ministry of grace, which is for everybody. We know that. We're PCA. It's what characterizes Jesus' ministry and his followers, too. But this is the first thing, the challenge or the the, what characterizes his ministry. But let's get to what challenge the challenge of Jesus' ministry as we've begun to touch on. The challenge then of Jesus' ministry in this text is who it extends to, as we've just noted, the Gentiles, the enemies. 
And that, that is, it goes to people you really don't like and that you really kind of hate. Um, if you're familiar, uh, there was a national championship game this past Monday. If you've been around Darwin, you might have heard about it. I don't know. Uh, but it, it, it played two teams, uh, Alabama and Georgia. Now, the week before this, uh, a friend of mine who's in a church in Atlanta, him and a guy he works for that's in the church as well, they put on this video that I thought was really clever and, and actually really funny. And, 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 and what you got to know about the video is that my, my friend is an avid Alabama fan, uh, graduate, lived there. I guess dad played football for Alabama. So you get it, right? The other guy, same thing, but just for Georgia. And you can tell that this has been going on, you know, the, the office banter up leading up to this. They decided to put this video together where they're both just dressed to the nines in their team's affair. But they're sitting across the table, and there's all these books laid out like they've been studying. And they're just staring at each other, right? And this is the video playing. They're just staring. Somebody brings in a bowl of chips. They eat the chips. They don't ever break eye contact with each other. And they just got this stare, this sort of vision of disgust with each other. And then the whole scene breaks, and all you read is something to the effect of, Bad week to start new series on loving your enemy. <laughs> All right? It was great. The challenge of Jesus' ministry is always who it extends to. People you really don't like. People you might even hate. And this is grace. Right? Because for grace to be grace, it must go to those who do not deserve it. Which means that it's for the people you naturally dislike especially Georgia fans, especially Alabama fans, right? And so we can, we can joke about that. We can joke about what, what, when it comes to football teams in our culture, but it gets more serious, right? When we get into issues of politics, right? When we get into issues of, uh, you know, cultures that, 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 that hate America, right? We, we understand what it means to have enemies is what I'm getting at, what it means to, to have people who don't like us, and so does Jesus' hometown, this is what the crowd in the synagogue in our text is reacting to when Jesus flushes out these two Old Testament stories involving two massive figures, Elijah and Elisha. See, by the time Jesus receives the verbiage, isn't this Joseph's son? People are offended already. They are offended at his words and they are offended at who he was claiming to be, the one Isaiah promised to come, the anointed. You mean to tell me Joseph the carpenter? His son is claiming to be who Isaiah was talking about? Come on. But for Luke, the wheels fall off for the crowd in verses 24 to 27 when Jesus makes mention of who God helps during the three and a half year uh, old famine under the time of Elijah and who God actually cleansed of leprosy under the time of Elisha. Looking at the text... Zarephath in the land of Sidon was Gentile country, and Jesus' audience knows it. Elijah was sent to help a widow in 1 Kings 17, but not a Jewish one. Elijah in 2 Kings 5 heals one person with leprosy, but not a Jewish one. See what he's doing? In fact, it was a Gentile king, a leader of an enemy army. That he came to help. Someone who would have come in and killed and stole and raped and pillaged and plundered the whole bit. Their people. You feel that? That's the temperature in the synagogue rising. (laughs) 
Jesus has come to town and he has said to those there, the ones oppressed, that his love and mission, what Isaiah talked about, is also for your oppressors, for your enemies. In other words, God has come to rescue the wrong people. Now come follow me and love those people. Think about that for a second. This is Jesus, just some examples maybe that might hit home for you. On 9-11 saying, and not like 9-11, like the 9-11, right? 2001. Look, I've come to extend my grace to Osama bin Laden, Al-Qaeda, ISIS. Of course, that didn't exist then. And look, this doesn't excuse what's going on here. Don't, don't, get, don't lose track of that yet. But grace is offered to them if it's grace. How do you feel about that? How would you have felt about that then? For some, it might make you want to throw this Jesus off a cliff. (laughs) I can get in that line. My heart can get in that line. See, why grace is so offensive, why it's so challenging is by definition who it extends to. And for Jesus and his prophetic readings in the synagogue, this means Gentiles and commanders of enemy armies. This is who Jesus' ministry This is who his kingdom, this is who his grace is for. But Israel, Jews in Jesus' hometown, well, this is the wrong people. This is the wrong people. And the question we have to ask ourselves this morning, the examination, if you will, is who are the wrong people to us? Right-wing talk show hosts? Liberals? Planned Parenthood, people who want to take down statues or monuments of our past, people who want to keep them up. Those who would burn our flag or those who would send it sky high. We could go on. Is Jesus' ministry for them or not? In other words, does grace have limits, friends? Who is the ministry of Jesus for? Remember, self-examination, right? Painful yet necessary. See, if I can't get you to feel a little of what Jesus' hometown crowd is feeling, if I can't get you to see what's really there too, right here, then we're all going to miss this passage, which is saying that, that if I'm honest, there are people in this world that I don't want the grace of God to go to. There are people in my life that I don't want God to extend his mercy and love and care. These are my enemies. And it's not long before our personal enemies become God's enemies too. If you notice how that works, right? Of course God hates gays. Of course God hates conservatives. Of course God hates liberals. Of course God hates fill in the blank. Because I do. And that Jesus shows up like he does here in Luke 4. And he tells you, I've come to bleed out for these people. I've come to suffer for your enemies. And I want you to love them too. What are you going to do with them? Thankfully, he said we didn't have to agree with them. And look, this really brings up a crisis in our culture today amongst the church and especially evangelicals. 
as to what the gospel, Christianity in general, is supposed to look like in the first place. There's an article titled, Two Christians on Their Knees, that I have been thinking about for a long time. I'll share it with you. It's by Michael Frost. And it compares and contrasts Tim Tebow and Colin Kaepernick. Two stars that have been made famous literally just by going to a knee. One, however, turns out to be the golden boy for the evangelical world. The other one, not so much. But they are both Christians. They both profess Christ. They both believe in Jesus. One writes scripture under his eyes before games. The other in tattoos all over his body. They both give glory to God. For their opportunities and abilities to play football, the article concedes. They both have charities that raise tons of money for good causes. They both say their reasons for how they play and what they do off the field are motivated and influenced by who Jesus is and what he came to do. Yet one is loved in this country and the other seemed hated. Now look, I'm not here to defend either of them. That's not what this is about. I'm simply using this as an example to point out that one, you probably have strong feelings about one or both of these Christians who you will actually be spending eternity with. I find that to be somewhat humorous. We can laugh about that. But two, the chances are Christianity looks like or is recognizable to you in one, but not both of these people. One of these guys we'd like to throw off a cliff. The other one we'd like to invite for Thanksgiving dinner. And the same is true for those in the synagogue, friends. So we aren't sure who our enemies are. And the reason is often because we have baptized Jesus in red, white, and blue. And the Jews in the synagogue have done the exact same thing. Jesus, they don't recognize him because he doesn't look Jewish. Are we sure we wouldn't make the same mistake? This is critical. It's painful, but it's critical. Who are the people in this world or in your life that you assume are God's enemies because they are yours? And what happens when you find out that God loves them just as much as he loves you? The challenge of Jesus' ministry is that for grace to be grace, it must go to those who do not deserve it. Which means that it's for the people you naturally dislike and perhaps even hate. And this gets to the last point, the scandal of Jesus' ministry. The scandal of his ministry is that it extends not just to the enemies of Israel. Jesus' hometown crowd here, not just to the Gentiles and the, enemy, uh, the commanders of the enemy armor, armies. It extends to Jesus' enemies as well. Which is who? You and me. Everybody. The tragedy of this text, as Darwin pointed out to me this week as we were talking about it, it's a great observation, is that those who were shown grace first, this is Israel, the Jews, are now refusing that grace. Those who were God's chosen, who he promised to deliver by sending Jesus, now want nothing to do with him. Why? Because they've forgotten that they were once God's enemies too. And their sin... And in their trespasses, the spiritual poverty, friends, that we are all linked together by. 
They have forgotten that God's whole mission is a mission of grace. They have forgotten why God chose them in the first place. Not because they were deserving, but, but simply because he loved them when they were his enemy. And the same is true for you and for me. Paul, in Romans 5, verse 10, that we were all, what? Enemies of God. While he reconciled himself to us by the death of his son. What's marvelous about this is once we get our arms around the fact that we were our <laughs> were enemies of God. He didn't wait for us to like him. Before he reconciled himself to us. He did it while we spit on him. When we tried to drive him off a cliff. Have we forgotten that? Jesus is telling us in this text as he is to his hometown, I haven't just come to suffer for your enemies. I've come to suffer for my enemies. I've come to suffer for you. Do you see that? And this is the scandal of his ministry. Jesus didn't just die for your enemies, friends. He died for his which means that he died for you, which means when we ask the question, who is Jesus's ministry for, which is the driving question throughout this whole sermon, it has to be for everyone. Grace has no limits to the friend, to the stranger, and to the enemy. This is what characterizes the church, y'all, because this is what characterizes Jesus. Therefore, moving to a little bit of application, the fundamental driver of any Christian or church at this point always comes back to the self-examination in the form of a question, who do we think we are? And that's not an accusatory question. It's a legitimate, am I looking at myself correctly? Am I allowing others to speak into my life? Who do I think I am? Do I deserve this or not? And the answer to this question is almost always answered in who the church is advocating for, is it not? Who, is the, who, the, who the church is willing to bring into its fold? And who should that be? What should characterize the church but the poor and the imprisoned and the blind and the oppressed? Those who have no voice. Those who some cultures would say are the wrong people. Those who can't see and need God's mercy and grace to open their eyes. Those who need grace and mercy just like we do. And this means then that the compassion of Jesus must follow the grace of Jesus in our lives. That compassion, the care for others, it must follow grace and it must follow it before party lines are drawn. It must follow before love of country, before anything that would come before the true kingdom Jesus has come to build and made us heirs to. Compassion must be what characterizes the church as well. And compassion comes into our lives when? When we know that we too have been advocated for when we didn't deserve it. Don't miss this in the story. Who is Jesus' hometown really angry with here, right? Who is Jesus' hometown, those in the synagogue, who are they really angry about who might get the grace of God? You and me, because you're a Gentile, unless you're Jewish by birth, which some of you might be, and I don't know that. 
But do you see that? These people are so up in arms over the fact that the gospel might come to Fort Worth, Texas, that they're willing to take the, the, the son of God and drive him off a cliff. How does that make you feel? But guess what? You've got an advocate in this text. You've got one who takes your cause all the way to the cross. Not when you like them. Not when you were sort of unknowledgeable about him. But when you hated him. And he takes that on himself to reconcile us to him. And so the mission for us, longing to characterize Jesus' ministry as well, is to go and be that for the world, is it not? Find a little corner in Fort Worth where you can be an advocate for those who have no voice. That's the church. Our mission's budget, what you tie to, goes to just that. Are you aware of that? Go talk to Steve. He'll tell you all about it. But remember, Jesus didn't advocate for you when you loved him. (laughs) He advocated for you when you were his enemy. Who do we think that we are is a question I want us to ask for the rest of the year. Certainly in small groups tonight, by the way. What kind of church do we want to be? If we think that we deserve this, or at least that others don't, then our ministry might go to our friends, those like us, but it'll go no further. But if we know we don't deserve this, that our ministry will go beyond our friends to strangers who are those different from us, those we might not understand, and then it'll ultimately go beyond them to our enemies, those who hate us and those who we might hate as well. But only then are we beginning to come close to understanding what Jesus came to do. But more importantly, who he came for. Is Israel's God rescuing the wrong people? You better believe he is. And thank God for that. May we be and continue to be a church in the business of rescuing the wrong people, friends. Amen. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for how you advocated for us in Luke chapter 4 before we even knew who you were. That you came to set the captives free, the oppressed, the blind, the poor. Those who are bankrupt spiritually of who you are, of your glory, and certainly what you have come to do. Would we not forget that? What you have done for us in your advocation all the way to the cross. Would we then go be that for the world? Because we recognize that grace has no limits. Would you help us to do that? Would you be kind and and merciful enough? To have us be examined. To see the sin in our own hearts. Where that needs to be repented of. Where we need to see you more clearly. And perhaps this world less clearly. 
We ask this all in your son's name. Amen.